Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to a very special edition of the podcast leading up to our two-year anniversary. With me today, finally, is a very close friend, a hilarious and super insightful dude, a great musician and music producer, and the guy who convinced me that with almost no experience running a business, it was a good idea to start an African music company in college. Now, he is still running today more than 12 years later and is stronger than ever. That man is Eric Herman. Eric, welcome to the Bizzlecast. Pleasure to be here, buddy. It t- only took me two years to get you on. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, you, Eric is one of the busiest dudes I know because he's running the company, Modiba, which I should say, man, over two years of podcasting, even though this is technically like Bizzlecast 84, the number of podcasts I've released is well over 100. Um, and so we're talking hundreds and hundreds of hours. And Modiba has come up only a handful of times, mostly because I'm doing the interviewing or we're talking about movies or television. So if you're a loyal Bizzlecast listener, you might know a little bit about the company. And if we have time later, um, w- we can talk more about it, the easiest way is to just go to www.mondiba.net um, and, uh, and check us out there. But before we dive into some more serious topics, man, uh, you want to just, just quickly introduce yourself uh, to the, uh, the Bizzlecast audience? Sure. What's up, Bizzlecast audience? My name is Eric Herman, as the Bizzle has uh, already told you. Jesse and I, is it okay if I call you Jesse, Bizzle? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might not be hip to all of the, all of the nomenclature in the podcast world. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Jesse and I met at Wesleyan 2001, which is uh, ancient history now. Boy. And hit it off right away, and we've been close ever since, and both went uh, abroad to Africa while we were juniors there and were very inspired by our experiences, came back and moved to Brooklyn uh, over the the summer before senior year and founded Modiba as a social entrepreneurial venture to try to connect African music with a Western audience and to parlay that connection into some sort of tangible social good uh, relevant to the artists themselves. And that was the seed that was planted all those years ago. Uh, and the company has since grown and uh, changed and evolved in a, a bunch of different ways. And at this point, we are primarily music management, production, licensing and supervision uh and our niche is in international music so we are the people you call if you need some obscure track from zimbabwe or pakistan or brazil uh or if uh, there is a hot new artist from one of those places or virtually anywhere and so that's the professional world that i've been in for a while and apart from that, I am a proud dual citizen, Canadian and American. <laughs> uh, I say that, I guess, with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, at any given moment, I might be more or less proud of one or the other nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can get into that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Go Leafs. Yeah, uh, so that consumes most of my consciousness. 
during the waking hours. Mm-hmm. And what's left is there for my baby girl, Maya, who's almost nine months old. Hi, Maya. My, my wife, Robin. Hi, Robin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that pretty much summarizes my entire existence to this point. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so Eric lived downstairs from me, but we were still in the same part of the same dorm, essentially. And it's it's really hard to describe this, man. I've tried to uh, with other Wesleyan people, but for whatever reason, there was like a dozen of us or 10 of us that immediately connected with one another in this little dorm. And I think it's safe to say we're all pretty close friends today. Um, and this all happens within the first week. Now, Eric... We we bonded um, very quickly, um, specifically over uh, music. Um, I think hockey is fair to say. I mean, you're obviously more of a hockey fan than I am, but uh, we definitely bonded over hockey. Uh, and then, you know, we bonded over intellectual issues and politics. And I think if it had just been the music, it would have been a great relationship, but there was a lot more going on. Um, just to close the loop, so when I entered college, my experience with African music was Ali Farcatore. But when we got to college, we mutually discovered a ton of other amazing artists uh, from Mali um, and across the continent. And of course, Fela Kuti, who was, you know, it was and is incredibly influential on us uh, musically and politically, um, I think is safe to say, right? Absolutely, sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we love to stay up late um, with a couple other of our, our, our good friends, um, you know, talking about all sorts of shit. And I've been wanting to get Eric on the podcast for a while. And uh, it's an interesting time to have you on, man, because even leading up to the election, and just for you listeners out there, we're recording on on Monday, February 27th, 2017. So we're about four months into the apocalypse at the moment. And uh, (laughs) otherwise known as the Trump administration. But even leading up to the election, man, where it seemed a foregone conclusion that Hillary would win, which of course didn't happen, it was really hard to get anyone on to talk about politics. Now, since the election, all people talk about online is politics, but it's still hard to get people on the, 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 the record on a podcast, even though they're, you know, spending all day posting Facebook and Twitter things about what's going on politically. So I appreciate you getting in touch with me and wanting to talk some politics. Um, it's sort of a bizarre st- uh, story or, or just like a reason that you got in touch. I posted a Facebook message and l- let me preface this uh, Bizzlecast listeners by saying Eric and I are very liberal people. We're very progressive people. We were before college. We were during college and we continue to be after college, but we're also practical people and we've traveled the world, you know, and we've interacted with tons of people. I've lived in Israel. We've both lived in Africa. Eric spent a ton of time in Africa. He still spends time in Africa and with Africans. And one of the subjects, the big subjects we're talking about today is going to be Islam, which I also did a master's in Islamic studies. So this is something that we're, we're very close to. Um, but it should be said, our school Wesleyan, you know, bless its heart, um, you know, speaking of which, man, a uh, little sidebar, we almost won multiple Oscars last night. You know, Kenneth Lonergan, who did Manchester by the Sea, went to Wesleyan. No, okay. <laughs> and uh, and no uh, yeah, and Lin Manuel Miranda, who everyone knows from Hamilton, wrote the, some of the music to uh, Moana, which was, I think, the animated film that should have won, Zootopia won. Um, and so, if he had won the best song, you know, that would have been two for us. Um, that would have been that would have been his EGOT, I believe. His what? what? <clears throat> his EGOT, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, it's going to happen anyways, I think, eventually. I would, I would assume. I yeah. would assume. He's in good shape. 
Yeah. Um, he's actually, Lin-Manuel, people don't know this, is currently working with sort of the next George R.R. R. Martin, uh, who's an excellent uh, writer of adult fantasy named Patrick Rothfuss, and they're developing a series of uh, TV, uh, like online TV, but also movie properties around this guy's uh, stuff, um, similar to what HBO did. I'm, I'm not sure what Lin-Manuel's involvement is. I just know that he's closely involved because it's very, there's a lot of music involved in this this uh, this world. But um, anyways, our school is a very creative school, Wesleyan that is, very artsy, um, but it, it, when I got there, I, I, it was so far to the left that even me growing up a Jewish, liberal, um, American Jewish de- Democrat uh, was was baffled by it. And I, you know, I put myself out there at school and I took some heat from people on the on the far left, which has been well documented. And uh, <laughs> er- Eric had my back, even though we don't always agree with it on everything. Um, but I do think it's fair to say, man, a long-winded way of saying that we share the same, I think, overall worldview but there are just a handful of core issues that maybe we differ on yeah i think that's probably fair to say now the other thing is eric and i love talking like metaphysics and astrophysics and cosmology and stuff like that that's actually you know what we love to talk about but that's a little esoteric so we're going to talk about kind of what's going on today so anyways so i'm i'm watching colbert videos and you know how when you go to youtube it takes you to other things so you get like don lemon screaming at people uh republicans on cnn and that takes you to something else and one thing led to another, and I saw some clips saying, you know, Ben Affleck going after Bill Maher on Islam. And I actually thought, man, and I don't watch Bill Maher enough because I hate his fucking guts and think he's a pretentious, annoying <laughs> asshole. Um, I thought it was going the other way. I thought it was going to be Ben Affleck being, like, Islamophobic and, and Bill Maher going after him. But then I did remember from a couple years ago that Bill Maher isn't a big fan of religion at all, or Islam, obviously. And it was it was basically Ben Affleck and um, Nicholas Kristof, <clears throat> New York Times and elsewhere, arguing against uh, Bill Maher and some guy named Sam Harris, who seemed to be somewhat Stephen Miller to me anyways there was a debate about you know uh, th- th- this this constant debate eric and, and eric knows this as well as anyone because he spent a ton of time in, in muslim countries in africa and, ex- and probably elsewhere um about you know is it one person is it a handful of people is it many people who hate america who hate the west do they hate the west how do they express it you know are we interpreting it the right way is there a lot of support for terrorism and so forth uh and rather than posting back <laughs> um which is what most of my friends do when i make an unpopular opinion on Line, which is off, well, often Eric got in touch and was like, hey, let's talk about, I don't agree with you, let's talk about this on the Bizzlecast. So Eric, it, I did not see this live when it happened. I'm assuming you did when the show was on a couple years ago. I did. I'm a pretty loyal fan of the show. Okay. Uh, I think overall, I'm a fan of Bill Maher. I mean, I think he's a, an excellent comedian and political comedian and a, an amazing interviewer, actually. Uh, and so I don't agree with everything he says by any means. And I think that he does have some fundamental issues with race and gender uh, as far as his uh, liberal uh, bona fides, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do find that he has a refreshingly independent perspective on a, a lot of topics. And this is a wedge issue, obviously, for liberalism in general. And it's one that he's on his sort of uh, militant atheistic crusade. And Sam Harris is another one of those guys, uh, who, who I'm also a very big fan of. And I, uh, listen to his podcast pretty religiously, no pun intended, but he's an, 
yeah, he's an ardent atheist mm-hmm. philosopher, and he spends a lot of time talking also about Islam specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming usually, he's sorry, but I'm assuming Sam Harris is Jewish too. Not that that's, yes. yeah. And Eric and I are both Jewish. Full full disclosure. So you know, it, culturally as, Jewish, as, as Bill Maher, religiously yeah. atheistic. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm right. I'm culturally Jewish and religiously agnostic, but not as anti-religion as these guys. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I'm culturally Jewish and religiously a Maple Leafs fan. And I, <laughs> I think. Do, do you pray? Do you pray to the god of of Kadri? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, two interesting facts. First yeah. of all, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think, are the first mm-hmm. professional, or at least NHL team. And maybe the first professional team in all of major North American sports to have both a Muslim and a Jew on their active roster, mm. uh, which is pretty cool. Wait, who's the Jew? Zach Hyman. He's a Toronto boy. Like, good good nice. old Toronto Jew, like myself. Yeah. And actually, as much shit as I give Eric for the Maple Leafs, I actually pull for them most of the time. Mostly because we don't have like a... The Flyers and Maple Leafs don't have a huge rivalry, I, I would say. And uh, we're not usually good at the same time. And also, I, I really like the Muslim player, Kadri, on uh, on the Maple Leafs. And I told Eric if he bought me the shirt, I'd wear it in burning public. it. Yeah. Burning it up this season. Yep. I just wore it the other day. It's in the wash right now. Yeah. So I found that to be an interesting nugget. The other thing uh, I realized over the last few days is is the fact that since Trump got elected... And uh, it coincided, it, it luckily for me has coincided with the most exciting year to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan in my lifetime. Wow. Um, and i hold on, hold on. More than a Gilmore year? More than the Gilmore years, oh, just because wow. there's so much promise. There's so much promise. We have eight rookies on the team that are core members of the team. Nice. Uh, and anyways, we don't get, we don't need to get bogged down in that. But uh The point I want to make, which I just kind of found uh, funny, uh, I've always talked about the Maple Leafs being my my religion uh, when it boils down to it, but then I've actually noticed since the election and how everything is so depressing and uh, frustrating, I've really just kind of turtled into my own shell and have been obsessing over hockey and the Leafs and uh, the minutia and the statistics. And it's just, it's just such a welcome distraction. And I find like, I, I find I'm finding myself much more at peace when I'm just, you know, willfully uh, burying my head in, in hockey's, sand, you know, cool sands as it were. I, apo- uh, I, I, I apologize again for ruining the score a month and a half ago. i was on tour with bambino uh salivating at the opportunity to watch that game when i got home from the concert it was a flyers game yeah yeah naturally i get a text from the bizzle right as the game was ending it happens once every two or three years and eric makes it sound like it happens on a weekly basis well the thing is jesse as long as we've known each other I, I have know. never been watching the games live ever. I you know what it was? You know, I, no, honestly, though, sent to me at college, I and I would watch the season two weeks behind. I would watch it with you. We'd hang exactly. out together, watching till three in the morning. I, I remember that. I'm just saying. I, I think what happened in my head was I'm imagining Daddy Eric, 
I'm thinking, because I've hung out with Jordan and Sarah at that time when sports happen, and they'll be watching the Phillies game in the background. So I don't know, in my head, I, I, you know, I, I should have asked first, obviously, but in my head, I saw you like playing with Maya and watching the game at the same time. So I apologize. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah. to be honest, uh, since becoming a father, I have been watching a lot more games live. I just happened to be a, yeah. on tour at that time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, to get back yeah. to it. So I just found it funny that like uh, the same thing that I imagine religion does in terms of uh, providing comfort yes. and and purpose and and in some cases just distraction uh and storytelling and fantasy yeah, yeah. all of that i'm finding very literally in <laughs> in my passion for the trauma beliefs yeah. and so i can now say with confidence that that is my core religion Okay, so why don't we unpack what specifically happened, and then we'll go more general, I think. Work work inwards out, if that makes sense. Sure. So, essentially what was happening was Bill Maher was doing what he normally does, which is consider everything about religion horrible, people who believe in religion to be idiots and lemmings, and for it to have no positive place in society. Well, that's a lot of extrapolating based oh. on that. Clip. I know, I'm trying to get you going here and defending your boy. <laughs> He does not like religion. He made an entire movie condescending to religion. I mean, he thinks he's so much smarter than anyone who possibly could like religion. Yeah, well, I do think that he's arrogant, uh, and I'm not going to deny that. And Sam Harris, too. I think they're, Sam Harris is probably even more arrogant than Bill Maher yeah. and condescending when he gets into debate. Yeah, Bill uh, Maher just add, adds extra condescension because of the way he talks to people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. Uh, Bill Maher has a, a huge ego uh, and that can definitely get him into trouble and, and get him uh, on some talking points that I don't agree with. But I think he is right to be criticizing religion in general and certain tenets of Islam, which he does get onto more often than any other critiques of religion lately. And I think he's doing it more as a reaction to the general... Uh, accepted sentiment in the liberal worlds in the U.S. and and more broadly that just sort of writes everything off with uh, a, a you know just a, a cultural relativism. Yes. Sort of uh, get out of jail free card. Absolutely. And, and I'm sorry, I just have to come in. So when I mentioned to tie the loop back with Wesleyan before and Eric having my back and me going out there, I actually attacked the cultural relativists at Wesleyan pretty openly. And in general, I am not a cultural relativist. I want to make that clear. The general argument that we should make special allowances, especially when it comes to human rights, because a culture thinks that, you know, female genital mutilation is okay or whatever, I am totally not behind. And so generally, I, I, I am in support of this uh, this worldview. And keep in mind, people, this was from 2014, okay? I haven't watched Bill Maher. But has he been on post-Trump's election? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. His, his current season is on. So I, I have to think that his priority right now is not attacking Islam. No, I mean, he's got <laughs> a myriad of, yeah. of things to attack. I just wanted to point out uh, that he was doing this during the heart of the Obama administration when you know, <laughs> giving Islam a pass seemed to be one of our bigger problems, if that makes sense. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't want people to frame this as, you know, Islam, uh, Muslims are, are, are under fire now and Belmar's piling on. That's not what's happening. This was from a few years back. No, and he's not taking a conservative or Trumpian position on it either. He's trying to take as objective 
uh, position as he can muster, I think, if I'm reading him correctly. And so he denounces some of the blind passes that the liberals give, and he certainly denounces the actions and actually bigoted uh, sentiments that come from the other side. And I find myself more or less in that position as well. Again, um, I'm resident to to just say I agree with Bill Maher on this because it's way too complicated an issue to just agree entirely with somebody. Yeah. Um, maybe we should. But, I'm sorry. Maybe yeah, we should sorry. unpack the actual thing that they were talking about. The conversation started on his show and on the, the panel with Affleck and Christoph and uh, Sam Harris uh, about uh, criticizing liberals for not standing up for liberal principles where it became uncomfortable for them to do so. So when right. you're not attacking a religion that's predominantly uh, comprised of white people. Uh, they back off, even though it, the argument goes that the subscribers of that religion are committing many more offenses to liberalism than, say, you know, the sects of Christianity are uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was that's what got the the ball rolling in that in that argument, right. and I that is a point that I do agree on. I mean, I think. If you're going to be a liberal, uh, then you want to denounce inequality everywhere it exists, not just where it's comfortable to denounce it, I would think. Uh, And I don't think um, just turning a blind eye to intolerance makes you more tolerant. I, I just, who is following the liberal principles of tolerance, we're not in this country. Clearly, um, you know, you people argue, oh, you know, Northern Europe or whatever. Well, you know what? Northern Europe seventy years ago wasn't particularly tolerant. And as much as we extol how great you know Sweden and Scandinavia is and so forth, they have a lot of racism in those countries, and they don't have to deal with a lot of immigrants, so they don't have to deal with these issues. So my question is: A, who is practicing the ideals of liberalism at this point? And B, aren't we being intolerant by grouping a billion and a half people, which is what Ben Affleck and Christoph was saying, and what I agree with? It's a general idea of grouping everyone into this one group. You know better than anyone that Muslims in Mali are way different than Muslims in Egypt, and Egypt who are way different than Muslims in Indonesia. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what a point that they were trying to make, that Affleck was too um, too riled up on his high horse he was to up. even acknowledge. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I yeah. agree. He went, he went in there. Yeah, he went in there with a chip on his shoulder. He Christoph wasn't, was more measured. Christoph was more measured. Sure, yeah, as, as you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, but the problem was, and they, they brought this up, and this is something, again, that resonates with me, is that mm-hmm. Uh, the liberal culture here, uh, and we can get to like who's practicing liberalism properly in a minute, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the liberal culture that we live in um, makes it very difficult uh, to criticize ideas uh, without people accusing you of then being bigoted towards the people that hold those ideas. And so you can say, uh, you know, there is a lot of bad ideas in Islam without being a bigot, I think, without then, you know, feeling 
uh, negatively towards a Muslim neighbor you may have. Right. You know, just in the way that I feel that there's a lot of problems with Christianity, uh, a lot of very, uh, not just dangerous, but destructive flaws in the doctrine or Judaism or uh, virtually any of the world's major religions, uh, without then feeling uh, prejudiced against anybody that happens to be of that religion. Uh, because everybody has ideas that are destructive uh, in one form or another. And if we can't call them out for fear of being uh, considered a bigot or even considering ourselves bigoted, then how can we make any progress on these issues? Uh, how can we have an honest dialogue with people that are different from us, especially with people uh, that are part of cultures that on a, on a, grand social level are embracing values that liberals should be appalled by. Okay. So, <clears throat> so when we're trying to judge the Muslim world, okay, obviously we'll, we'll separate different regions, different ethnicities, different religious strains, but the two main ways to judge anything in this world is sort of the statistical, the analytical scientific level, and then the anecdotal level, Right. So you and I have decent access to anecdotal stuff. You know, you traveled all over Africa. I've been in different parts of the Middle East. Uh, in my religion department, there was a, a heavy Islamic studies program. I had students from at least 15 or 20 Muslim countries, some of who were very devout, um, and none of whom displayed the kind of intolerance that might be associated with people who dress that way or, you know, or, or, or practice that way, whatever. That's anecdotal evidence. My point is, you can point to any number of surveys, you know, like Israel, for example, and by the way, people out there, I am pro the Jewish people, but I, I haven't been pro the Israeli government in a long time. So I apologize if this offends you, but I do consider what's going on in Israel to be essentially a form of apartheid. And, you know, they point to these things saying, well, you know, the history books in the Palestinian territories are, you know, mostly distort history and portray Jews like this and portray the occupation like that and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but you're biased in the way you're implementing these surveys. But also these people are also being ruled by a dictator who are... It's only the case because you're letting them be ruled by a dictator. You know, Egypt, I mean, how can you get honest answers from Muslims who are being ruled in, in, in really, really uh, sketchy or worse political situations, right? I mean, how do we even know what people really think because they're scared, you know, to... To, to, to say what they think. And man, if <laughs> I mean, even the polling in our country is fucked up. I mean, Hillary Clinton was supposed to win by a landslide and she got crushed. So that means people were lying on surveys or the surveys, which guys like Nate Silver think had been perfected to, to an art, clearly is not the case. So then we have to rely on anecdotal evidence. And as we know, anecdotal evidence is not always accurate. So w even if I accept the things that you're saying about, about Islam, or forget you, Bill Maher and his type are saying about Islam, you know, like where, where's the, the information for this coming from? Or is it just a philosophical argument that there's something inherent in Islam that is, is faulty and therefore needs to be purged? Or reformed, at least. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that that, that opens a can of worms, uh, obviously, to get down to, like... Because uh, they said, I'm sorry, point. I'm sorry, one more thing. Sam Harris and or Bill Maher said something like, 
you know, every something along the lines of Islam is by far, you know, a giant recipe for disaster or something like that was was a line they said. Basically yeah. saying the, the, well, Sam it, Harris yeah. said it was the motherload of bad ideas. There it is. There it is. Uh, which is obviously, yeah, that, I mean, that's obviously an aggressive uh, and <laughs> probably like deliberately provocative statement and not one that you can easily agree with uh and i think yeah i mean i mean i'm not going to agree with that uh but i am going to uh, concede or or admit that from my point of view i think that there is a lot of bad ideas uh that have become uh mainstream uh it you know just adopted dogma uh to those that subscribe and I think that that's, you know, I, I, I think that we should be able to say that freely uh, in the same way that we can talk about the problems of American culture, which, of course, we have no problem doing, and uh, or of any culture that uh, of any culture that that we are engaged with. And I think it's, um, you know, it's almost like the the bigotry of low expectations if we are to say okay well we we don't have any place commenting about the oppression of women or homosexuals uh in in society x because we're part of society y right uh then you know and then you say well okay well then the, to your point what you were just uh talking about at what point uh, is somebody educated enough, has enough concrete facts or enough anecdotal experience to be able to have an opinion on on this? And that's a slippery slope as well, because then you're basically disqualifying almost everybody's opinion about almost everything. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not like, disqualifying ideas. You are I- dedicated. I, I, I look, dude. I, I I'm not for burkas. I'm not for oppressing women. I'm not for you know uh, segregation. I'm not for any of these things. But you have to look at these things historically. You know where do these things come from? You know when you have ideas, there's the source of ideas. This is how I thought of it when I was studying Islamic studies. What is the source of the ideas? What are the power of these ideas? And then what are the truth or interpretation of these ideas? Right. And so when we go through each of these things that we criticize Islam for, and I am critical on some of this. And trust me, a lot of Muslims are critical about this. The people who have the freedom and education within Islam to have a nuanced view about about this stuff are, are very honest in my in my experience. Um, in fact, Jews right. voted uh, at a higher rate for Hillary Clinton than Muslims did in this country, actually. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that all Muslims, you know, their whole agenda is, is pro-Muslim or pro-Arab is like saying, you know, the entire Jewish agenda is pro-Israel, which statistically is completely inaccurate. In fact, as a side note, American Jews are more alienated from Israel now than ever before. The, the support for Israel among American Jews that aren't the, the few rich right-wing Jews is extremely low because of religious fundamentalism in Judaism, right? So as Jews, we need to examine our own problems with religious fundamentalism. But my, my point is, you know, where does the burqa come from? Right, the burqa did not exist across Arab and Muslim cultures for the last two thousand or fifteen hundred years. 
That's like a relatively modern thing. And I don't think that Christianity, I know Sam Harris and Bill Maher are Jewish, but I don't think that Christianity, after oppressing both Jews and Muslims for almost 2,000 years, right, when Jews were safer in Muslim countries than, than Christian countries for the most part, get to, to say that Islam is historically forever more and forever before, you know, this backwards religion and Christianity is somehow enlightened or Judaism is somehow enlightened at this point. I, I, I know yeah. that well, you're, well, you're going to say, let's talk are. about today, and that's fine. We can talk about today. But I, I think that, you know, unlike me and you, a lot of people don't bring in the historical perspective that 200 years ago, this was exactly flipped. Yeah, in my, well, in my opinion. But I yeah. don't think, I, well, for, yeah, first of all, just a little correction. Bill Maher was raised Catholic, but before denouncing all religion. Uh, oh, that's right. I always forget that. Jewish, Sam Harris. I, I, we, it's just because he looks Jewish um, and has Maher as his last name. But uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And they also, I mean, he also will be quick to point out that were we living in, uh, during, during the Crusades, uh, the object of his ire would be the Catholic Church, you know? Um, he, we just, he feels, again, not, I mean, to the extent that I'm allowed to speak on his behalf, which is not really, but I would think, having followed him, uh, Dude, he would be honor. He would be honored to have you speak on his behalf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that uh, he he values uh, freedom of thought, freedom of speech as the probably the most important of all, uh, you know, liberal values. And so to say again, to say yes, uh, all of these religions have been. Uh, extremely destructive at various points in their history, and yeah, of course there was there was periods where Christianity was a scourge of the earth, which was uh, you know slaughtering uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, in the name of Jesus, and you know that's that's not our present day political context. So uh, we can we can refer to the history and understand where things come from. But that doesn't, of course, again, it doesn't give a pass to what's going on today and the very real uh, consequences we have to grapple with for addressing it or not addressing it. Yep. So I think it's, uh, I think everything is fair game, ultimately. Everything's totally uh, fair game. It's all a matter of what's productive. And this is what I'm always talking about. And look, dude. I've changed my tune since the election a little bit. I was sort of on the Hillary Clinton bandwagon. I mean, obviously, I was on her bandwagon in terms of supporting her, but I was on her bandwagon of elect me, but I'm going to reach out and we're all going to dialogue together. Now I don't agree with that at all. I think, you know, some large minority of this country is just, you cannot reason with them because of the education system and because of the culture that they come from. And liberals need to focus on getting liberals in powers and say, fuck you to the conservatives um, for the most part, not to completely close off dialogue, but in general, I'm a dialogical, a supporter of dialogical, you know, uh, approaches, um, which is fine. But what I'm saying about Bill Maher, and then if you don't mind, man, I'd love to get a little more specific about your experience in Africa, because 
seeing Islam in Mali really opened my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a couple quick anecdotes from my short time there. You must have a ton, and you've been all over Africa. And you know, I'd love to talk about sort of why Senegal and Mali are so different in terms of Islam, for example, or you know what happened in northern Mali. You know why other people in Mali that w- that was very difficult for them to understand, and how I would say there are some parts of Islam that are so different from other parts of Islam that it's almost another religion, which is something that doesn't come out. But my whole idea is. Even if Bill Maher is right on these points, the way he talks about them and presents them is completely counterproductive. It's completely kind of, like, in his ideal situation, what's going to happen? They all just forget their religious identity and become uh, Americans, essentially? Like, I don't know what his preferred outcome is. Now, I never saw religious because I would want to put a bullet in my brain after 20 minutes of seeing him stroke himself on screen. Um, and so, I don't know if you saw his movie, um, but, it, you know, the the level level of condescension does not make it appealing if you do care about your muslim identity or any religious identity you know to to, uh, he's being defiant beyond reason and that's something you could accuse religious fundamentalists of and this will be my final point from a general standpoint is i hate atheistic fundamentalists as much as i hate religious fundamentalists it's two types of fundamentalism they both claim to know the truth about reality that's why i'm agnostic and i try and learn from everyone I, I, I respect that you are an atheist. I still think you are an agnostic, even though you wouldn't put it that way, because you do have a spiritual side to you. I don't think there's a spiritual bone in Bill Maher's body, and he's reacting to that. <laughs> I would agree, but I, I just to I, I think. Would you agree to, that you have a spiritual aspect to yourself, though? Yeah, even if it's yeah, not yeah. Religious? I, mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess technically to call me an agnostic is is more accurate than to call me an atheist. Uh, you but are, you are atheist. Cost- sorry, you are atheist in terms of non-theistic, in terms of religious exactly. version yeah. of theism. Yes, but you yeah. are agnostic in terms of not asserting that there is definitively no god, or that definitively religions are a hundred percent off base, or that any type of religion could or would be off yeah. base. Yeah. Well, I'm not. A, yeah, I'm not a fundamentalist of any doctrine, and I think. Well, to you know, I would hes- the only reason I ha- would hesitate to just call myself an agnostic is because I really feel I feel like it's kind of cheap. Uh, is it's just such a grab ball for like, well, I'm not hardcore into anything. So, I'm well, like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Was it cheap that Socrates defined wisdom as acknowledging that you don't know anything? <laughs> no, uh, I well, that's what that. that's what being an agnostic I, is. Agnostic saying I don't know anything for sure, so I'm going to wait until you know the jury's out as I learn. And it's all about learning. That's the thing for me. It's all about the life being learning and not getting a final answer. Mar wants a final answer the same way fundamentalists want an answer, and that's what bothers me. Sure, sure. Uh, I guess I would just say that like uh, having a lack of a coherent belief system and to call that agnosticism. I mean. Okay, like I'll I'll bite on that and just call myself an agnostic. Uh, I do definitely believe that there's a lot more to uh, the universe than what meets the eye or that we can even uh, perceive. But uh, we have the capacity to know and to understand, and so that might some might argue that that uh, disqualifies me from being an atheist. I guess, but as you point out, there's a difference between theism and a belief, you know, uh, a belief in something greater than uh, the physical world. Right. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhere in that wishy-washy area. Uh, I get down with a lot of Eastern mysticism. Alan Watts is probably my favorite human being to have been alive in the last couple hundred years. Uh, 
Oh yeah, uh, but also science-based stuff like like the cosmic serpent type stuff. Yeah, or, well, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think where the atheists do have the advantage is that you know they're not saying we just believe in something and we'll die for these beliefs. They're saying we believe in what can be uh, proven and reproven um, empirically, and that's it. And so that, at least to me, is a lot more sensible than believing something that you read in a book because everybody around you tells you that that's how it is. Uh, so I do, I would give the advantage to atheism, even even fundamental atheism that way, is because at least uh, as as part of the practice of a fundamental atheist, uh, you have to be able to change your opinion on something if new evidence comes in that refutes your old opinion. And if you don't, then you're no longer uh, abiding by the principles of fundamental atheism, which is really just being uh, adhering to science. Um, So again, not to get too, not to get too far out in the weeds on these, these identities. uh, That's why I'm just saying like, you know, if if I'm going to be labeled with something, I'm okay being labeled atheist instead of agnostic just because I think it it, it, it points uh, to a more specific direction of thinking uh, that I at least um, pay a lot of attention to and respect um, than to just say, like, well, I don't know, and throw your hands up and say so. Yeah, you know, I think if, if you know is, is agnostic. Yeah. If if you really are into Eastern stuff, you know that they don't they they either don't care and or don't believe exists what we in the West would call metaphysical bedrock. Another way of that is absolute truth, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's mm-hmm. Taoism or Buddhism. They, they don't pursue absolute truths because their entire philosophy, and this is the thing, man, I'm agnostic in the, in the Eastern sense of believing that philosophy and religion is one and the same. And what, in the West, that was the biggest mistake was Descartes, you know, and the early modern philosophers dividing philosophy from religion. In the East, it's always been the same thing. And in Buddhism, what's it about? It's about psychology, right? Buddhism is about how to have a more fulfilling, happy, you know, enlightened life. You know, it's not about determining whether A exists or B doesn't exist. So I think the entire Western system of trying to establish absolute truth and metaphysical be- um, bedrock, which is what the atheist fundamentalists are also part of and they can't see that they're part of the same cycle of truths that they don't have and will never have access to i guess yeah well i I would agree with that i think obviously atheism is spiritually hollow and so if you're going to go down that road you're never going to find spiritual fulfillment uh but at the same time i it's it's easy to criticize them now that there has been a lot of progress in american society as far as accepting the ideas of uh, these hardcore atheists, and that now it's not taboo uh, to not take part in Christianity or any other major organized religion, but it hasn't been that way for a very long time. And so I think you have to offer some credit to those people that were willing to be on the front line uh, to change hearts and minds on that issue. Uh, because obviously the more religious a society is, or I shouldn't say obviously, but what seems obvious to me is that the more religious a society is, uh, 
the more ultimately sort of conservative and inflexible it is. Right. Uh, and that will probably mean the more oppressive it is to a lot of people yeah. that, that think differently uh, than the mainstream. So uh, I'm, this is my final thought for this segment. I really want you to talk about Africa and I have a good lead in for it, specifically Mali, but Africa in general. All I'm going to say is I consider myself philosophically a Taoist. I don't, I don't practice sort of like Taoist religious rites just because I wouldn't even know how to do that. But sure, I, I feel you there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely down with Taoism. Yeah, but the point is I'm all about getting things done productively in a real way. And so my last point about Mar and his, ty- his ilk is that even if he's 100% right on all the facts, the way he's approaching and talking about them are completely counterproductive, and so he'll never achieve the results. He's actually making the problem worse because the type of progressive Muslims within their own societies that he's criticizing that could find common ground with him are so offended by his approach that they would never do- talk with him. And so both sides get hardened. You know, it's it's like Pharaoh's heart hardening. You know, it's like it, it's it, it's just completely counterproductive. And, and I think that's what Christoph, at least Affleck, I don't know the Affleck brothers. I mean, Casey, I don't even <laughs> yeah, want to talk about. Casey's that. like a, a sexual molester, I mean, and Ben is I mean, God knows ben what. Affleck, let's yeah. be real. But Nicholas uh, Christoph, I do respect. I do respect Christoph. Sure. Yeah. And, me too. Yeah. Me too. Uh, well, what to, I yeah. would what I would say though, uh, as a response to that is. Uh, in Mara's defense, and I think this is what, again, this is probably what he would say, uh, is that he's not he's not speaking to Muslims when he's when he's on his soapbox. He's Clearly. speaking he's speaking to liberals, um, and that's that's his audience. I mean, literally and figuratively. That, outside that is- of Wesleyan, man, honestly, how many cultu- like truly culturally relativistic liberals have we met? I mean, we're so biased because we run in those circles, but the bottom line is most people who vote Democrat on the ticket are not cultural relativists and are offended by those practices. So who the hell is he arguing against? And he's a Hollywood guy dealing with other Hollywood liberals. Those, him and Ben Affleck are two privileged, up-their-ass Hollywood liberals yelling at each other with no a sense of reality. Sorry. Yeah, well, but I mean, I think that there is a lot of a lot of people on the left that have the uh, you know are in a default setting that is similar to what Affleck represented in that conversation, and I think yeah, Wesleyan is a great example of people that are super liberal on the spectrum of politics, but that's not you know there's those are big swaths of the country. I mean, if you look all the way up the West Coast and mar- large parts of the East Coast. People, people are really liberal, and there's a lot of groupthink going on yeah. in those circles in similar ways that we condemn on the right. Uh, and so to at least challenge that, I think, is, is worthy. The way that it's done by Marr and Harris and others, I don't always agree with. I think they obviously, yeah, they sometimes they definitely go too far. Uh, they will betray some prejudices that they have themselves in their arguments yeah i don't but know My, from to outside ch- yeah I, I, to I challenge the group there. thing though i think is is worthy and who's so the group? i will who's the group the honestly liberals no most liberals don't support what he uh, what he's accusing them of of thinking I don't know. Well, I just don't know, and I don't have any statistics. That's on because that, you've but, spent uh, your last fifteen years in Wesleyan well, in New look, York City. I'll say this. Yeah, but look at this. Even Hillary Clinton, who we can probably agree is not very not far out there on the liberal liberal spectrum, uh, she would refuse to talk about Islam. You know, refusing to talk about Islam after the Orlando shooting, I think, did a lot of damage to her, uh, and I think she she made that decision based on 
the prevailing attitude of the people she was trying to appeal to. And so that to me was telling, maybe it's not backed up. And obviously she alienated a lot of people uh, that were maybe more centrist or right-leaning or whatever. No, what hurt what but, hurt her was thinking but, that her super pro-immigration message was going to go over well, not only with with non-immigrants, but especially with immigrants. A lot of a, a lot of legal immigrants voted against Hillary Clinton because they don't want illegal immigrants here. That was her big problem. Well, okay, but I mean, I think, but then you have to ask yourself, like, why didn't, why wouldn't she even mention it? Um, in well, Trump the, didn't in mention the, the shooting of, in Canada by the white dude. Yeah, he did. He mentioned it. Uh, I mean, he got the facts wrong as always. Uh, he talked about he talked about providing help to, right. to Quebec, sending in sending in <laughs> troops or whatever. <laughs> We're back to the French and Indian War all over again. It's great. Don't get, don't get me started on Quebec, man. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other couple hour debate. Do you think but, you think uh, you think the rest of Canada would welcome a Trump invasion of Quebec? <laughs> <laughs> I think Quebec would welcome a Trump invasion of the yeah. rest of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. So let's let's focus this because so you, you studied in Mali uh, our junior year of college, two thousand three. I studied in Botswana. We both had, I mean, for me that was the most revolutionary, eye opening experience in that amount of time I've ever had anywhere in my entire life. I mean, it's not even close. Um, we mean you were also very lucky in terms of we lived with local, non particularly wealthy families. <laughs> Uh, the entire time, and so we're therefore immersed in the language, and we weren't just like living in dorms. It was like real cultural immersion programs. Now I got to experience the, for the first time a totally different form of Christianity, sort of a syncretic form where local traditions were worked into the Christianity that the missionaries brought. And uh, I'm not gonna say it's the same thing in Mali, but I will say, you know what I remember, man? I remember we were we were about to land in Mali, and you say to me. You were like, dude, you're going to see people wearing Osama bin Laden shirts. Don't get freaked out. I was like, okay. <laughs> and and we, as we're driving into Mali, the people are wearing the famous Osama bin Laden shirt. And people couldn't have been nicer. And what also I would I remember was that, you know, not only did I never feel threatened, people were like, no, no one was trying to convert us. And even within your extended family, I don't remember everyone's name. I apologize. There was different um, uh, levels of religiosity. There were certain members of your family oh, who yeah. would pray five times a day. There were certain members of family that would pray five times a month you know what i mean like it was just very very different um our, our our artist our first and you know one of our bi- still biggest artists via farcatore has an interesting interpretation of his own personal i mean the, you know in mali it's definitely a personal version of islam which you know quote-unquote real muslims or, or you know modern islamic scholars will tell you it's a very personal religion and that that would be sort of the progressive way for islam to move forward was to be make it a, a personal religion you know jesus famously is supposedly said you know it's about how like the most pious person, you know, prays in, in his closet, basically, like prays alone when no one else is watching. Um, in Islam, it's right. actually important that you pray together. It's a communal experience. And that was a big eye opener for me as well. So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience of Islam in West Africa? And of course, a couple years ago, um, you know, there was a, an invasion essentially in the north of uh, people claiming to be part of Al Qaeda and some horrible things happened there. If you people haven't seen the movie Timbuktu, you definitely should. Uh, Bizzlecast listeners, I'm sure there's a lot of other movies and documentaries, but that one's particularly powerful about what happened when Salafi uh, fundamentalists took over the north of India and put them under their their version of Sharia law. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm open I'll open the floor to you, my friend. Sure. Uh, so Mali is a country in the middle of West Africa that's 
about 95% Muslim, uh, like most of its neighboring countries. And it's not until you get further south to uh, like Ghana, Benin, Togo, where you start to find Christianity taking hold. Uh, the rest, when you go north of that all the way up to the top of Africa, is very, very heavily Muslim. Uh, but the Malians, the, their version of Islam is sort of a, uh, well, it, it's the product of Sufi Islam with uh, pre-existing animist traditions and then an, with co- sort of an overarching influence from, I guess, those, those that they consider to be uh, uh, authorities on Islam. Okay. So you have this very, this sort of very layered, and as you said, yes, it's it's very personal. There, it's much more open to interpretation than it is, as far as I understand, in the Arab world, uh, in places like Qatar or uh, Yemen or something like that, uh, where the interpretation I think is is much more uniform than in a place like Mali. So yes, you have women on the street. I mean, you, you that are quite exposed they'll have no problem whipping out a boob to feed their baby in the middle of a public square yep uh they they were much more uh conveniently selective of the parts of islam that they adopted into culture and and another very important point about it there is that Mm. the prevailing culture in mali is Malian culture, not Islam. Uh, and so Islam ha- has worked its way, it folded itself into the fabric of their society, uh, but it doesn't define their society. Uh, and so there, that leaves, yeah, it, it leaves a, a large degree of, of wiggle room for people to either, you know, be very hardline and adopt this sort of Salafist point of view, right. or to be... Uh, you know, very casually religious, uh, like many people there are, and who just follow it on much more of a cultural level, uh, the same way that I might uh, call myself a Jew, um, because that's culturally where I'm where I'm at, and uh, it's part of who I am, and I uh, have no qualms with that. But I don't, yeah, you know, obviously that that for me is completely divorced from the theology of it. And so there's there's plenty of that in Mali, but but it, at the same time, overall, uh, it's a very conservative country, mm-hmm. and uh, so its interpretation of Islam, while perhaps more loose and liberal than other parts of the world, is still quite conservative. And there's a lot of uh, structure to their society that is difficult uh, to to bend or break. And so, again, women have, you know, much more clearly defined roles in society. Uh, and so that's something that, that we can be uh, critical of, uh, potentially. And, uh, you know, more and more there are women in Malian society being critical of it openly. Right. Um, but it's, it, it is a much more tolerant place uh, than other places that I've visited uh, where Islam is uh, by far the most mm-hmm. dominant 
religion. Uh, and so, yeah, but again, I think it's, that's largely based on its historical context. Uh, the fact that like to begin with, it was adopting a, a Sufi brand of Islam, mm-hmm. uh, which is more, uh, I guess, spiritual, uh, spiritually inclined and, and more personalized. Uh, so anyways, I, yeah, I had a ton of debates with people while I was there. Uh, the fact that I was Jewish, you know, I was worried about that. Uh, how they would react, and most of them uh, didn't really. I found didn't really harbor any bias. Uh, yeah, did they? But when we, by the time we had gone, were they aware that you and or I were Jewish? I can't remember. Yeah, well, they definitely knew I was. I mean, Drisa's uh, family knew, but I mean, like. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't walk down the street. You know, you walk down the street <laughs> as a white person in Mali. People yeah. are going to assume that you're a Christian, right. but you're, they're, all, they're also going to assume that you basically you're a, you're a heathen. You know, <laughs> you don't, right. you don't probably don't really follow any religion right. properly. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting point, though, man. Just oh, I never thought of it that way. So it's a society that's internally conservative and even intolerant in terms of if someone inside wanted to change things, but they're tolerant to outsiders. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, exactly. And I th- I mean, I think that that's, I think that that's common. And I think that that is even maybe at the root of our, uh, turning a blind eye to issues outside of, of our culture, uh, where liberalism should be planting a flag and saying like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's over there, uh, and who am I to to judge what's over there? Hmm. Uh, and so I think Malians do the same thing. Ultimately, uh, hmm. they'll give you a pass uh, on on your core beliefs, but that's not to say that they won't also try to influence you. Yeah, uh, and you know, like it's a, it's a proselytizing religion as well, and so you'll get into a lot of debates, which are really more like uh, recruitment uh, episodes, <laughs> and than debates and it's funny because you know it, it i was able to really needle a lot of people when i would get into debate with them because uh, they would you know they would speak in absolute terms about you know allah is the one true god and the only righteous path is is through him and uh if you do not uh, pay allegiance to Islam, you are going to hell. And then I said, and I would just say, okay, so this is to someone that I would know, not to someone I would randomly meet on the street, but if I was in a conversation right. with somebody that I had established a, a relationship with, I'd say, like, okay, so I guess that means I'm going to hell, right? Uh, and they would be like, well, yeah, well I don't know, man, not, not you, but, you know. Uh, and so he'd say, like, as, you know, as soon as the chips are down, uh, maybe the uh you know the word of the book is not taken entirely literally yeah i mean but, but listen well hold on i i went to an upper middle class school outside of philadelphia now the immediate suburbs of philadelphia are very jewish but if you go a little further i mean it, it's almost like redneck territory so i was like right in between it was very christian conservative you know everyone's daddies had guns and stuff like that they all went to church there weren't a lot of us jews there and i was literally getting trying to you know people trying to convert me all the time telling me i was going to go to hell like straight to my face with a straight face like they thought they were helping me again I, you know i'm not so sure that it's so different everywhere in the world um that we necessarily think um and uh just a quick thought experiment man is like what if islam had never come to mali i think it's safe to say mali's poor 
Um, one of the poorest countries, or at least it was a few years ago. I'm, I'm thinking it still is one of the poorest. So, I mean, if they were just a super poor third world country, regardless of their religion, it's pretty probable that women would be as much oppressed, if not more so. I mean, Botswana, before Christianity came to Botswana and they got money, women were basically just trade value for cows, essentially. I'm not making this up, you know? And now Botswana is one of the most progressive countries on the continent because they've been educated and have money and somehow use diamond wealth, you know, productively to have a democratic and prosperous society, which has happened almost nowhere else. But you know, that it, when you learn about Botswana's history, even like 50 years ago, it's absolutely horrifying. Women were, were slaves basically. So it, yeah. I think that's the other thing that the Islamophobes, whatever you want to call them, miss is that Islam happens to exist in a lot of really, really poor countries that have been poor for a long time and in which women have been oppressed for a long time. I th- yeah, that's a, I think that's a very good point. Uh, and I don't know, and I'm not, I'm not the type of non-believer to just write it off entirely and say that there is no positive uh, result of, of somebody or, or an entire society, an entire country subscribing mm-hmm to a religion, I think there's positives and negatives. And in, in, I think in most cases, the negatives outweigh the positives. But yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not willing to just dismiss it entirely as having no value at all for humanity. And in Mali, yeah, you could be right. I mean, I think there is, Mali has an example uh, that we can look at of, of people that did not embrace Islam. And that's the Dogon people in the in the middle of the country, they're kind of nestled in. It's a it's a very small ethnic group, just like nestled right in in the middle of the country. It's a very just like mountainous region, and they build their homes within the mountains. And they're fairly isolated. And actually, really fascinating uh, little uh, sidebar that they uh, they believe themselves to be from Egypt originally. And they follow their very uh, very own and fascinating cosmology that revolves around the star Sirius B, uh, which was undetectable to the naked eye uh, until quite recently. But they have been following its cycle for centuries, hmm. and have uh, in in their artwork and all of their kind of lore uh, is a lot. Uh, a lot of stuff that when these French uh, ethnographers and um, scientists went in and studied their their culture found a, a huge amount of parallels between the Dogon lore and quantum physics. And it was like totally mind-blowing to them. And like there's there's some literature out there on it uh, it's not like bedrock uh, confirmed science, but it's fun stuff to poke around at if you're intellectually curious about that kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, so so the Dogon are still animist. Uh, they they didn't embrace Islam, and they're there, and they're pretty isolated. And it does make you wonder. I mean, as cool as it is uh, to look at from the outside and to try to hypothesize what it would be like if the whole country just maintained their various uh, animist faiths or just, you know, uh, just their own cultures uh, that stem stem back from uh, millennia. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Islam has done a lot of good as far as just unifying, as, as far as creating a nation. 
uh, of these disparate uh, and very uh, multitudes of, of different ethnic groups. Uh, so that's part of, you know, like to a Mali in their identity is, uh, and again, obviously this doesn't apply to everyone, but, right. uh, largely you could say if you, uh, ask a random person on the street in Mali, uh, to list their sort of order of allegiance, they would probably say they're Malian first, and then they would probably say they're Bambara, uh, or they're Pul, or they're Sarai. Uh, or they are Dogon, or they're Tuareg, and then they would say they're Muslim, mm. uh, and then they would say they're African, or you know whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, as far as their own identity and and how they relate to these different groups, uh, they they are proud Malians. Uh, Malians are proud of having a diverse culture within the country and a very vibrant culture and obviously the best hub of music uh in Africa perhaps in the entire world mm -hmm. uh, again i say obviously but uh that that is <laughs> my opinion ultimately it's but, one uh, of the three i i always yeah. say I, I say mali brazil and india those are my three but i could be sure wrong. yeah but i guess when you consider that mali is only 12 million people exactly yeah. <laughs> india is 1.2 billion yeah it's wild it's wild uh and so but but to yeah to bring back to that so i was saying like does can a malian identity uh can that be created and crystallized uh without islam uh i don't i don't know yeah. And I do nope. think it's important for their survival that mm -hmm. they have pride in, in their national identity. Yep. And so, yeah, that's just an example of, uh, you know, the benefits that a religion can bring to a society, even though it may reinforce pre-existing biases within that society yeah. or, uh, yeah, basically not even just permit, but like encourage oppression of, of many people in that society and you know just to just tie it all the way back around um you know if you look at the political events of <clears throat> a couple of years ago uh when you know north northern african um radicals islamic radicals came and did horrible things and the country, for the most part, was horrified, I think, right? I mean, the world was horrified. I mean, I mean oh, point, absolutely. Yeah, it was to the point where the French, they invited the French in to help get rid of them, I think. Uh, is they what were, yeah, they were pleading for the French to intervene. Yeah. The French did not intervene until the Islamists started marching towards um, the middle of the country. Once, the, yeah, once they started uh, getting past that, that's... Sahel desert region in the north yep. and marching towards some of the more major cities. Right. Uh, that's when they intervened and, and scattered them. Yeah. Basically they didn't wipe them out. Sure. Uh, but they, but within a very short amount of time, they liberated the cities in the north that had been taken over. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, most people would think the historical irony there is the people who are colonized, who then won an independence, now inviting their colonizers back in voluntarily to help them. 
But the real irony and the more disturbing thing and the one that people like Belmar aren't thinking about is that it was the French and the English carving up the Middle East that led to the development of what we now know as Wahhabism or more correctly Salafism, which is what's informing all of these radical, violent Islamic groups from Indonesia all the way to northern and western Africa as a result of colonialism and imperialism in the mid-1800s in Saudi Arabia, who is a devoted ally of the United States, supposedly. <laughs> right. so, so, yeah, well, it, there's, I mean, it wasn't a coincidence that it was the French that they were uh, appealing to, to to come intervene. It's because it's the French bear a huge amount of responsibility for the political situation in Mali. I mean, their currency is still goes through France. Right. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is the thing the French did that was worse to Mali was not the one that was more recent and more obvious with the colonization of the country. It was it was the exploits of, of French and, and, and England and other powerful right. European countries in the Middle East, even well before that, that led to the radicalization of Islam in Saudi Arabia, which is now being exported. I mean, the Muslim Brotherhood in, in, in Egypt, which everyone, you know, blames for so much of this stuff, is, is, has a direct link to, for 150 years to Saudi Arabia. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and so again, when people accuse Islam of various things, they have to realize that there are forces going on in Islam that are asserting themselves around the world in proportion, that are not proportionate to the population. I mean, the Arab Muslims right. are a fraction of the Islamic population of the world, but they, their, their influence in both religious and political matters is, is massive. Yeah, and that's what I was referring to earlier yeah. when I said, like, what you know, the way that uh, I, I see Malians um, grappling with Islam overall is that you know it's like it's a little bit built on their pre-existing beliefs structure. It's a little bit on Sufism, and then there is this influence from outside, and it wasn't you know the the takeover of the north of Mali was almost entirely from the outside, but. They did find some people that were sympathetic. Uh, and so still in that region, there is a certain percentage of the population that does believe that Sharia law should be the law of the land, you know. And so it wasn't it wasn't as if, you know, like, you know, how Americans uh, like to panic about the idea of ISIS, uh, you know, taking over uh, Kentucky. Um, it's not <laughs> it's not the same situation, you know. Uh, there is there is a deeper uh, pre-existing relationship and context there to grapple yes. with. But the, the, uh, but but but, the, but dude, I'm sorry, but you have to look at the political side and the power side of things. Like if you look at the movie Timbuktu, you know, like what? Why were those people enforcing this horrible law? Most some of them were outsiders, and the other one just wanted power over other people. My well, point like I said, is, al- yeah. almost all of them were outsiders. People uh, just want were, power. A, lo- a lot of them were mercenaries. Yeah. Uh, Religion is just another tool of power that people would be trying to exert power over one another, regardless of religion. We'd find other, and as you and I know, man, studying imperialism very closely, religion was not always the reason for imperialism. And at times religion was even trying to slow down the, the economic imperialist engine, which was really behind, you know, what was going on in, in South America and Africa and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yeah, to add another layer to all of this, I mean, if you were to ask Vieux about what was going on there, uh, or Bambino or any of the dudes, uh, in their groups or whatever, and I discussed mm-hmm. this stuff with, mm-hmm. uh, they don't think that religion has much of anything to do with what happened. Uh, they, they think it has to do with international drug trade, first mm-hmm. and foremost, arms trade, 
but that basically was just opening up a passageway for the for the free trade of narcotics, uh, and that that's what that was mostly about. The same way, I guess, that we could speculate that the war in Iraq was about oil. Uh, and, that? Uh, I, I don't buy that in uh, in absolute terms. No, I think I that there's a whole it. bunch. I, I didn't heard that. I hadn't heard anything about that. What? You never heard that the theory that the Iraq War was started? No, to no, no, no. I'm talking about drugs and <laughs> drugs in northern Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I believe it. I believe <laughs> yeah. it. Absolutely. Wait, what? A war in Iraq? No. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this guy George W. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, God, he was a good president, wasn't he? God damn, I would love to have him. Fantastic cattle rancher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I am definitely not close enough, uh, to that subject to know I mean, what to this, believe. I, I think tied the guys to the I talk to are yeah. smart guys and I don't think that they're making it up. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm not accusing him of making me anything. I'm just saying I hadn't even heard this. Uh, is this related to Afghanistan and stuff where we know that the drug trade is a big part of what's going on? I just hadn't heard this in relation to Mali. That's, that's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. I think that there's a whole, there's a major trafficking like black market trafficking that goes on throughout the sahel and i don't know where it starts or where it ends but having these like having control of that region was largely uh financed by that trade and hmm. about that trade wow and so that's you know that's when you when you talk to you know view would say immediately like oh those were fake muslims those were not even muslims they'll 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 carry their ak-47s and cut your hand off but then they'll go and they'll snort cocaine um and rape your women and and whatever and so yeah basically just conveniently veiling themselves in this religious doctrine when the reality was yeah they're just criminals uh trading in right drugs and guns and and the usual stuff that criminals trade in so if we hone in on it, it, you know, Islam's most negative effect in Mali, for example, perhaps we could agree that one of them would be the place of women or, or women being restricted to certain roles, right? Yeah. And we're taking into account it being a very poor country, and <laughs> there's very few examples of very poor countries historically where women were even close to equal to men. Usually, you know, the poorer country gets, the 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 bigger the the, the chasm is, and in fact, the wealthier countries get, the more rights women tend to get. Yeah, so, I think that that's a really good point. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, that begs the question: like, is is Islam? What role is Islam playing? Is it in just maintaining the status quo? Yep. Uh, justifying the situation that they're in. It's certainly not, and you know, in Molly's case, it's not Islam and people's subscription to it that's helping to uh, the progressive movement there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I would have trouble accepting an argument that Islam is helping the, that situation, but it may not be the cause of that situation. And in fact, you know, I think you're right. It's not the cause, yep. uh, but it found fertile ground to move in and, it, and you know, assert itself. Yeah, and and you know, Vias and and most of Mali's, you know, being horrified by the the capital punishment um, of what was going on in the north, you know, just just exemplifies the fact that it's not all Muslims everywhere think that that's somehow part of the religion is capital punishment being acceptable. You know, is a woman being beaten to death for singing or something like that? You know, um, and, and that sort of stuff. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you have to, you have to kind of, um, spin it forward a little bit. You know, if Mali becomes a middle of the pack country that has some middle class, you know, what happens? I think more rights for women. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that would happen in every Islamic country, but the problem is how many Islamic countries are in the top 50 of the world? I don't, are there any in terms of average income? Cool. Okay. So yeah, what we're, what I was saying is, yeah, to support the argument that while Islam is not the cause of these imbalances in, the, in their society, it is potentially providing the infrastructure, you know, the social infrastructure maintaining. Uh, to maintain them yep. and preventing progress. One example is you just talked about, yeah, I mean, I think uh, along with the education of the population in general and education of women, Come better rights for women and for everybody in society. Uh, but in Mali, the scarce resources that they have to devote towards education, uh, a huge proportion of that is is spent teaching kids, like you know, kids just going to relig- fundamentalist religious school, basically, uh, and learning uh, the Quran and not learning the arts and sciences. And so you have to ask, okay, well, maybe the society would be better off if they devoted more resources uh, that they already have as far as adults willing to teach children, um, you know, just any kind of funding uh, towards steering away from religion and more towards, you know, secular uh, humanities and sciences. But we don't we don't even teach proper biology in half the schools in our own country. So why are we pointing fingers at everyone else? Maybe we should clean up ourselves. I mean, look, <laughs> everyone can agree that the present moment is not the time to start pointing fingers at conservative Islamic countries. I think is fair to say. But even if we had Hillary Clinton as president right now, and even if all this other nonsense or Bernie Sanders, and even if this other nonsense wasn't going on, we still have a lot of work uh, in terms of battling conservatism in our own country. And, and it, there it, there is a lot of hypocrisy in pointing fingers now obviously you know bill maher and those type of people are, are also criticizing what's going on in our country i'm just not sure it's all, you know always framed correctly and so um i guess i would ask you just in terms of us being solutions oriented guys like what what are some productive steps that you think we can take um not just an individual level because we know that means you know connecting to people traveling making connections you know doing dialogue related things and so forth you know modiba's work in terms of cross-cultural connections is so important and there's a hundred other organizations out hundreds of other organizations and companies out there who you and I and others have worked with and you know and have come across with that are doing great stuff like that that's all very important but from a political standpoint even if we if we we're able to survive what's going on with Trump and get a reasonably sane government it, it seems like we also have a lot of work in this country in terms of how we treat uh, black people how we treat immigrants how we treat Muslims clearly how we treat Jews which we didn't think was the case now there's death threats uh, just today uh, I have cousins in two in Chicago and in Delaware who go to JCCs who had to be evacuated today for bomb threats. So Jesus. It, 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 it's hard for me, you know, to 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 be pointing fingers elsewhere um, right now. So do you have any thoughts? I mean, or maybe we just all have to work through this together, you know. And that's why I think just if Bill Maher just toned down his rhetoric, I know he's trying to get ratings, but if if we just try and reach out to some of these groups as opposed to you know just just trashing them i I don't know Uh, maybe that's just human nature maybe maybe you know the 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 in-group and the out-group thing 
Yeah, well, again, I mean, I think that that's, well, two things. Like, again, I would just point to the fact that I think Marr is trying to be provocative towards a group of Americans, not towards a group of um, um, of foreign people or Muslims in particular or anything like that when he's talking about that. Sorry, I came across the clip because of Muslims online who were talking about the clip. And then I mm-hmm. went to the original clip. So they see it and they're talking about it. And these are Muslims who, who generally are, are liberal and socially progressive. And that's why they were even more hurt and offended by just the generalizations of the entire thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's, I, I, that's fair. Uh, although I guess I would, again, I would argue with the notion that they were making, that they were stereotyping or making even specific generalizations about people, because then if you were to accuse them of doing that, then it becomes extremely difficult or almost one gets maybe even impossible to criticize an idea without criticizing the person uh, or criticizing all, all people that subscribe to a way of, uh, you know, any kind of doctrine mm-hmm. without, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, it's important to be able to do that just like your other point. Like, yeah, of course, America is all kinds of fucked up, especially right now. Uh, but at what point are we so unblemished uh, that we can turn our attention away from, from our social problems and think about or even criticize other people's social problems? Right. Uh, obviously, we're never going to get to that point if we feel like we have to be completely pure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, if we're not allowed to talk about uh, the problematic aspects of Islam in Africa, uh, as an example, then until, our, until America is a perfect, you know, kumbaya nation, right. then we're never going to be able to do it. There, there's, so there's, just, there's a big gap We just have to that. decide. We yeah. have to just decide if we're, you know, giving ourselves that license to, right. to, ha- to have and to voice these opinions that are not fully informed, right. fully contextualized, and coming from a, a flawed position to begin with, you know? I just think phrases like mother load of bad ideas is, is, isn't really helpful to anybody. Um, I agree with you there. Yeah. I'm not going to defend that. Um, but, uh, so, but this brings up the greater philosophical issue, and we can head towards the conclusion here, which is, you know, do you agree that the notion of religion uh, is inherently a, a bad influence or a bad thing for people, but B, th- that there is really a single definition of what religion is and that we can even attack it as a thing and as a single institution the way Bill Maher does and people like him think we can do. Well, I guess the what, to me, the key concept in in this question is faith, to accept something on faith which I think religious people the world over consider a virtue and a secular or unreligious people consider a vice. And so I think that gets at the crux of it. Uh, to believe something, to, to place value in a belief of something simply, like not just without evidence, but because there's no evidence, it makes it more virtuous to yeah. believe that. That's that's Kierkegaard, by the way. Well done, sir. That's the leap of faith from from Soren Kierkegaard. That that the virtue of faith isn't despite the evidence, but because there is no evidence. Yeah. Right, and and so that to me is problematic. I I I just don't buy it. I think that that the second you're doing that, you're surrendering your ability to to operate properly in, in a in a world that is full of 
empirical evidence that can guide us. And so if you're going to, yeah, basically you, you, you go down the fake news rabbit hole, essentially, because uh, you don't care about what is verifiable. You just care about what, what you think, uh, how, how some piece of literature uh, can, will make you feel uh, and not whether there's any, you know, provable truth behind it. And so that to me is a big problem. And again, that's why I would say I'm agnostic only because the beliefs that I, I would like to have uh, or am inclined towards, you know, inclined towards haven't been disproven. Um, you know, like I think people confuse uh, what they think they believe because uh, I think if you believe something, you don't even really recognize it as being a belief. You, you think you consider it as a truth. Uh, and then if you're not so sure, uh, but you're inclined towards something, then you would call it a belief, but that's not a really a belief. Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as a strict definition, that's just an inclination, uh, or a hunch. Um, yeah, so I guess I, 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 I guess I, I would just challenge that by saying it's interesting that arguably the two most famous and influential Western philosophers, uh, Socrates or Plato and Descartes, agreed that the only thing we know is that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, and somehow yeah, that's become that. and somehow that's become an empirical <laughs> just, thing. Yeah, we can just wrap it right there. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but that's but that's the point is that we shouldn't empiricism can get us closer to truth, but to ever accept any empirical result as truth goes against what empiricism is supposed to be about, right? That's why in science, things are called theories, not definitions. You know, we think well, things operate a certain way, but we can never truly prove it for sure. Well, uh, yeah, I suppose uh, when you're getting down to a really sort of semantic idea of like proving it for sure, but like something like, you know, like I was just reading the other day that Kyrie Irving, you, you know, like I know I'd heard this before and kind of forgot about it. And then it resurfaced that like he has this whole the world is flat thing going on. Do you know about this? That no. Kyrie Irving, <laughs> the Cleveland Cavaliers, has like stated publicly multiple times mm -hmm. that the earth is flat. Yeah. Like literally, that's what he's saying. Yep. And so, of course, Neil deGrasse Tyson like engages is engaging him on Twitter or whatever. Oh, and just, no. like, <laughs> taking on taking on the challenge oh, no. as he does with, whenever anybody offends science. Well, that's because uh, Kyrie Irving never went to college. <laughs> but like, I mean, set aside the ridiculousness of that. Yeah. I think the fact that the Earth is round is a verifiable fact, and sure. you know, there, there. So there is. While it might not tell us the whole truth of the matter it is telling us some of the truth of the matter yeah. when we can look at the world from outside and take a picture of it and circumnavigate it yeah. and say, okay, yeah, obviously this is a sphere, yeah. not a flat disk. And so but that's only important because it's useful to us. The knowledge of that specifically only is important because it's useful is my personal that going with the Taoist thing yeah, because it's useful. Well, because it's useful, it's important, but it, that doesn't speak at all to its value as true or not. No. Or, well, I guess value it does value. speak to, but it doesn't speak to whether or not it's true, yeah. period. You know, and so that's, 
Right. Uh, but the Earth wasn't. The Earth was not. First of all, it, it, it's not round. It's actually, uh, you know, slightly not round, which is why we spin on an axis. That's uh, not completely. It's more round. round than it is flat. Right. I understand, but it wasn't round initially until it got smashed into a circular thing, circularish thing, and then into orbit. And eventually, it's going to be not round again. You know, I, that's all I'm saying. It's like, look, I, I agree with you. But if you look at this country and you look at conservative trends, there's a lot of Christianity wrapped up in it, and there's a lot of conservatives doing bad things and saying bad things. And a lot of them happen to be Christians. I'm not convinced it's Christianity that's doing it. I think it's more along the lines of it. What we were talking about with Molly, it, it you know, making it worse or, or making it harder to get out of or whatever, being easier. It's right. much. In, it's certainly easier to manipulate people it's an enabler it's way easier to manipulate people i do think you know guys like mar who come from a christian like a you know catholic type background there's a little projection going on you know from his own experiences like people people who are raised in the religion and and then escape that religion or whatever you know like kirsi ali who's like his idol uh tend to be way more radical against that religion than everyone else and i totally understand that she had a much harder life than he did you know sure so yeah well people i love it like people accuse me of being a self-hating jew right uh and i just, just say like, well, what are you talking about i i love myself yeah <laughs> <laughs> just not you just, i've got a it's you i've got a problem with. yeah i just don't love the jewish part of myself um <laughs> yeah oh, oh and just to address that really quickly uh we can go to final thoughts um what you were saying about faith uh islam and christianity are very strong on faith but that's about it i mean even judaism uh i mean judaism has been influenced by christianity in recent years but if you look at Jewish history and Jewish texts, the notion of believing in God is not considered one of the most important things. And actually, some Muslims will tell you the same thing. Some Muslims will tell you that belief in God is one of the five pillars, but all five pillars are equal. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think Christianity is the only religion where faith is by far the most important thing. Um, And Islam, like Judaism, is about practice. Eastern religions, for the most part, faith is non-existent, at least in the way we we see it. Although they do have belief in the way you defined it in terms of it's so set in their worldviews that they wouldn't think to even question it because that's just the fabric of, of reality, right? Exactly, but the fabric of reality for for um you know for upper middle class educated people a hundred years ago was that you know black people and women would never be equal to us even if you were liberal a hundred and fifty years ago you know so right. and so and that's that's why you know uh, progressives have a responsibility to progress you know to challenge the status quo that and you know just the structural. Uh, you know, dynamics of our society. And so that's why, again, to come bring it back to Marr, I would defend what he's doing, even though he does it in an arrogant and condescending way, uh, in a just kind of a loud mouth and out for ratings or, or however you want to criticize him. And I think that there's, you know, plenty of valid ways to criticize him, mm-hmm. but he's provoking a conversation that's uncomfortable to have in liberal circles, but is important to have if we're going to continue to, pro- to progress in our thinking and then in how we influence other people's mm-hmm. thinking. All right. So my last big question for you will be, when you look at our society, let's forget about the rest of the world for now. When you look at our society and progressives are trying to diagnose uh, what went wrong in the election, Right. The first one, which we don't need yep. to argue about, is how strong or weak of a candidate Hillary Clinton was. Personally, I admit that that, that she, you know, I, I look. I always thought she was flawed. 
uh, I think her campaign was maybe more flawed than she was. Clearly, she was perceived as being flawed, and so therefore she was fla- very flawed. Okay, fine. Move on to the next question. Next question is, and this is the big one that you can go either way. I understood your so some progress. I kind of hinted this earlier. Some progressives say, well, you know, we didn't. We kind of acted like a bunch of pretentious assholes. I mean, you know, this was in the progressive dialogue after the election. Like, we kind of acted like the liberal elitists that they accuse us of. You know, we turned mm-hmm. our nose up at them, you know, and, and that's why Trump supporters were so rabid was because they're sick of us, you know, uh, urban and coastal elitists put, sticking our nose up at the rest of the country because of their religion and their redneckness or whatever, you know? I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, we, we abandoned the quote unquote working class. Right. But some people say that we lost the election because Hillary Clinton, the campaign, and Democrats in general were not able to rally the, the, the true left, and we should just ignore the right and rally the left. And that, that was the formula. That's going to be the formula going forward. Do you think it's either of those or both or neither? Uh, I, well, I think as far as political expediency goes, it is that. I think the reason that Hillary lost isn't because she didn't do a good enough job appealing to the middle and the right or even the left. She just she just didn't do a good enough job of inspiring the base to come out and vote. Uh, so you, people look at it in a very skewed way. The reality is if she had just had the same level of voter turnout as Obama, she would have won. Uh, to, be fair, so wasn't, to be fair, she had 400,000 fewer votes than Obama did four years ago. Yeah, but, where, but it, in, if you're talking about these critical states... Yep. Uh, although interestingly that, that's all that made the difference interestingly and, just really quickly interestingly although she lost the midwest states that they thought was a firewall like wisconsin and michigan um it was pennsylvania and florida that killed her pennsylvania me living here is still the most perplexing because philadelphia mm-hmm. is so blue and pittsburgh so blue but the middle of the state just screwed everything up florida who knows she actually won texas by more than a half million more votes than obama did and if you look at the trends in the the southeastern and southern states they're getting bluer even while the midwest former industrial places are getting redder so we could be looking at a a democratic map going forward where the south is actually in play and the midwest is out of play but sorry go ahead yeah well i was gonna say like you know obviously we we disagreed on on this uh throughout the primaries uh and it obviously carried over into the general whatever i was a bernie guy you were a hillary guy uh but uh i would still maintain that the fatal flaw of her campaign, you know, that it, even without Bernie, of course, I would have preferred that Bernie be the candidate. Sure. But even with Hillary as the candidate, if she had just swung a little bit left, I think it would have made all the difference. I mean, she just tried so hard to appeal to the middle uh, and spent all of her time doing that kind of just, just considering the left and the far left to be in the bag. Yeah, but dude, uh, you can see that. You can see that. But most Bernie supporters, she could have said anything, would not have supported her because they saw her just being a Clinton and being Hillary Clinton, being part of the old guard. There's nothing she could say. And by the way, she steered her her course way left after she beat Bernie to try and rally people on the left. So if you looked mm, at her platform, I don't know, way left. Yeah, uh, look at her platform I mean, change. I, look, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not letting anyone off the hook. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, even if Bernie had gotten the nomination, I don't think the Democratic um, base w- was would, would be solidified in, in that, you know? I don't think that would have been guaranteed. He might have done slightly better, but I still don't think, you know, I think the Democrats are a mess regardless of who the candidate was. And, and they had two old white people, I think, was also a big problem. 
Yeah, I think that I, I would agree with that. And yeah, I mean, we could obviously speculate about this forever, but it seems to me that the Democrat, the Democratic Party, uh, not Democrats as far as voters, yes. but the party yes. is effectively just, you know, one, uh, one side of a corporatist coin uh, that's, you know, it's, it's the left uh, facing side of the same coin, uh, which is being disrupted by, by Trumpism going on on the right. Yeah, I was going to say the Democrats uh, are corporatists. Come on. We're being run by a corporation right now, literally. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously the Republicans are as and more guilty, uh, but yeah. that it's just, it, it was too much. Uh, yeah, it, it was too self-interested and self-invested uh, in the, like in, the existing status quo. And I think, you know, I could have the same criticisms of Obama of, of, you know, that he was, he didn't do a lot to disrupt, uh, the corporate takeover of America. Uh, and there was a lot of, you know, illiberal policies that he had, uh, especially, um, when it came to foreign policy and Hillary was arguably going to be even, you know, to the right of him, uh, on those issues. So, but all that being said, I, I do, I do still maintain that if she had just, if she had actually done, said more at the stump, uh, to appeal to people on the left, rather than trying to just bridge this gap or uh, play for like these, you know, these handful, uh, of independence, uh, that she would have done a lot better. Like the problem wasn't that she didn't win the independence. Mm-hmm. The problem was that she didn't get enough dem like yeah. Democrats, especially the ones that are hardcore left yeah. to come out and vote. And that's that's hopefully a mistake we're not going to make again. Yeah. But I think she just came off as super phony, like way phonier than she actually is in real life. I mean, from by all accounts, including people I know um, or people who know people who worked in the administration, she's actually like a very nice, like inclusive type person um, who can be very blunt and even like you know curse and stuff behind closed doors. Like if she had just been more of a regular person, which she just clearly politics for forty years has just worn her down to where she's so machine like. I, I think it was more the presentation side of things we'll never know it's a counterfactual question um so we hope for the best so man uh, so sort of a tradition with the bizzle uh bizzle cast uh, with people who are on for the first time to do a a few really quick pop culture hits before we sign out are you down (laughs) let's go all right so we have to start with the oscars last night uh one of the greatest disasters on tv ever best best oscars of my lifetime all right so tell us what happened last night in your in your perspective Oh, wow. Uh, A lot happened last night. Uh, It's really a shame, I think, ultimately, the way it ended. I agree. uh, Because it's going to, it has already gotten all of the attention when there were so many things that were worthy of attention that happened last night. Uh, My favorite part was. Uh, Kimmel's bit where he brought in the the people on the the Hollywood Stars bus. A lot of people hated that, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I just thought that that was just amazing TV. Yeah. Uh, and just it, and it was it was gutsy of him to to try that. And I thought he pulled it off relatively smoothly. He definitely fucked up at one point. Uh, just kind of when he started riffing on his crowd work and and just totally unnecessarily made fun of a woman's name for being you know different. <laughs> that was, and I think he immediately put his foot in his mouth, but. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, I thought it was just like a hilarious and amazing bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of 
poignant political speeches, uh, I'm definitely one that is not, uh, I have no problems with these award shows being political. In fact, I feel like, you know, what, what the hell is the point of an award show in general? I mean, you may as well get political if you've got a massive audience, uh, and you have something to say that you believe in. Uh, so yeah, the Iranian director winning and having that statement read, uh, what else was and awesome he, he put out the video, a video online, which I'm sure you saw, of his actual speech and why he didn't come or whatever. If not, you should YouTube it. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, uh, I can't remember the name uh, of the guy that won Best Supporting Actor, Ali. Mahershala uh, Ali. Yeah. Yep, uh, he's criminal, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think, look, it's the Oscars are a, a vacuous, uh, self-congratulatory, like, uh, you know, just uh, schlockfest. <laughs> but uh, that's why, you know, again, it's just you go into to, to these kinds of things. If you go in with low enough expectations, you can really have a good time with it. Yeah. And that's what I did last night, just watching with some people that are like super tuned into to pop culture and hilarious, and they have hilarious comments to make yeah. at every turn. Uh, so yeah, it was thoroughly enjoyable. I thought Kimmel, I thought Kimmel did a great job. He did. I love the Matt Damon stuff. His whole ongoing <laughs> thing with Matt Damon is so fucking funny. It's been going on for like fifteen years now. It's hilarious. All right, so I, I didn't know about that contest. Oh, you don't, don't remember know. the Sarah Silverman, I'm fucking Matt Damon? Like when, when Sarah Silverman was dating Kimmel, they did this whole stunt. Where she did a music video about her fucking Matt Damon behind Jimmy okay. Kimmel's back. Yeah. It's a little, yeah, it's ringing a bell. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't watch him a lot. Me neither. Uh, but he's good in these situations. He's definitely good. I felt so bad for him at the end. People are giving him, I'm like, this wasn't his fault. Come on. It wasn't remotely his I fault. I know. And they were saying it was Warren Beatty's fault. Like, th- yes, they should have seen it said best actress on the envelope, but you can barely see it. Like, well, it looked like Warren Beatty did see that, and that's why he hesitated so much. No, 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 no. The outside of the envelope said just Best Actress, like Best Actress Award. Ah, uh, well, yeah. It, yeah, but the thing on the that. inside really threw him off because it said Emma Stone. Yeah, and then afterwards, Emma Stone basically accused Warren Beatty of lying, dropping F-bombs in the <laughs> press conference. I love her. She's oh. mad. So, I mean, she was very, very sweet and congratulatory to Moonlight, but she was pissed about the whole thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's gotta suck. Yeah, it, <laughs> uh, sucks. it sucks. And yeah, and again, it's a shame, even though it made for amazing TV. Uh, and like, it was just like, what a, what an epic twist to the end of an already entertaining Oscars. My headline, my headline was like, you know, Hollywood can't, you know, liberals can't even succeed in giving themselves the correct awards or something like that. You know, yeah. like, we can't even pat ourselves on the back correctly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, um, so yeah, it's a shame that that, that that's a shame that, that that cast a shadow over the whole thing, or at least that that grabbed all the attention. You know, kind of just like took all the air out of the room for for yeah. all the other issues. Yeah, I mean, Bizzlecast listeners, you can listen to my long ass Oscars podcast with my dad. I, I was not a thousand percent crazy about Moonlight, but I was really in support of what it was about and loved the actors and a lot of things about it. And I was thrilled that it won instead of La La Land, which you couldn't pay me enough money to see that fucking movie. <laughs> Hate everything that it represents. I do like Emma Stone. I think Ryan Gosling's kind of a douchebag. I mean, there's really nothing you do get me see that movie. Although, have you seen have you seen The Believer? Yeah, we watched that together, man. 
Did we? Okay. Well, yeah. That that was my introduction to Ryan Gosling. He's great so in I that. Have a little bit of a soft spot for him because that was a really one of the best. He just plays a lot of douchebags in movies. I mean, even in the big short, he played a douche. I mean, he's just constantly playing douche and crazy, stupid love. I, he's just not my kind of guy, you know, in terms of an sure. actor. Um, so, well, that's yeah. What, what did you see? What did you see among like sort of the big movies that did or didn't get awarded really quickly? I saw Moonlight recently. Yep. I, I mean, I I love the movies, but this year having a baby, I really have tough. fallen off my, my my movie game. It's tough. Uh, it's impossible to go out. Like, and if you do go out, you're not going out to a movie. Uh, you, or at least you're not. You're not gonna like hire a babysitter and spend sixty dollars on a freaking babysitter and then go see a movie with that time. Yeah. I mean, so we we pick our battles a lot more carefully. Yep. But uh, we saw the movies I saw this year uh, that were at least mentioned in the Oscars. Uh, the Lobster was up for something. I thought that that was pretty awesome movie. Yeah. Uh, Arrival was my favorite of the ones that got a whole bunch of nominations. I'm ke- I'm keeping my mouth shut because I've already lost nerd cred on this subject, so I'm not saying anything. Go ahead. Because you haven't seen Arrival yet? No, I've seen it. Okay. Uh, I loved Arrival. Uh, I thought it was so unexpectedly thought-provoking and, and awesome okay. and just like beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Moonlight recently mm-hmm. and I think again I probably went in with too high expectations yeah, you know too. so much in life is about is about your expectations. Yeah my mind right. were sky high too yeah. And so it, it was obviously a great movie uh, but you know I just felt like it was just uh, it wasn't it just didn't have me as riveted I guess uh, as I was hoping uh, because it was very slow and frustrating yeah. the way that the protagonist would never talk. And yeah. like, obviously that was part of the point, but yeah. it was just, it was difficult. I know. Uh, when they won best adapted screenplay, I was like, are you kidding me? There's like five lines of dialogue in the entire <laughs> fucking movie. Well, they were up for editing and I was like, what are you oh, talking God. about? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, but obviously, yeah, the performances in it, the story, Great. the whole production, the way it was done was yeah. totally brilliant. Yep. And so, yeah, you can't, I mean, I, I didn't see La La Land. I, like you, I would never see La La Land. It's just not my type of thing nope. at all. Nope. Uh, and I didn't see Manchester by the sea cause again, like you read the description and it's like basically like a depressing, like two hour film. Uh, and that's just not, yeah. not what I'm into these days. Pop, Papa Bizzle loved it and loved Casey in it, but he said he was prepared to take medication after the movie. It was like that depressing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't like to watch a movie to get depressed. Yeah. Like he, but just, basically, what he said was it was brilliant, and Casey was brilliant, but he wasn't sure that was a movie that should have been made because of how extreme the the scenario was, and, and so forth. You know. Yeah, um, well, I, I know. I know almost nothing about that movie, so yeah. uh, except that it would be horribly depressing, and so that's that was enough for me to mm-hmm. stay away from it. Hell or high water. Tell me, you saw Hell or high water? Oh yes, I saw Hell or high water. Uh, Love. Well, come on! I love anything Jeff Bridges. Love does. that movie. I thought I was. I knew it wasn't going to win Best Picture, but as soon as I saw that movie, I was like, "This is getting nominated," and I hope it wins. It didn't win anything, but I fucking love that. Nah, movie. you know, you could tell it was going to get nominated and not win anything. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I know. I thought Ben uh, Foster should have gotten nominated, but you know what? Because like the scope of it was, it, it wasn't a, a grand scope. You know, it was just taking on a pretty straightforward story in a pretty straightforward way, uh, and I think it did a masterful job of of telling that story and yeah the acting was great 
man, those like those brother bank oh, robbers yeah. were like Chris Pine great. and Ben Foster killed it. Ben Foster in particular, I think, should have been nominated, but whatever. Yeah, incredible performances. Yeah. I'm way down with that yeah. one. Yeah. And I, I loved Hidden Figures. I think Hidden Figures didn't get enough love because it's a PG movie, but it tackles racism in such an amazing way. And, I, and when I went, there were tons of kids and families in the theater who were like gasping at all this racist stuff that was going on in the '60s. You know, movies like that—they don't have enough awards for movies like that. You know, it's like. It, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I gotta watch. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, it's but. so good, and it's really funny and entertaining. The main three, so you know, it's Octavia Spencer, Taraji Henson, and Janelle Monet, and those three fucking kill it. And Kevin Costner is actually great in it too, as the director of NASA, who kind of has his head up his ass, but once he realizes what's going on, starts like being just basically he's being like, "I don't have time for this racist bullshit. We're trying to beat the Russians to the fucking moon." Like everyone just. Shut the fuck up. I need these women kind of thing. It's, but, uh, you go through a whole journey in it. Great music. Um, yeah. I, there was some talk that there would, there would be an upset, either Moonlight or Hidden Figures, you know, for political, um, some political considerations. I'm not saying that's why Moonlight, Moonlight won. It was definitely a thousand times better than I'm sure I would have thought La La Land well, was. Yeah. Moonlight, I mean, independent of, uh, the racial dynamics, uh, yeah, the Moonlight. Game. Moonlight right? was the kind of movie that wins the Oscar for best movie. Yep. Uh, and it happened to be, yeah, I mean, it happened to be, a, I, I don't know if it was all black production or almost all black production, but, uh, you know, to my mind, it was like, that was just secondary to it being the exact type of movie that wins Oscars. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I can't believe the the one time in eighty nine years or whatever they fuck it up. It's the whitest movie ever <laughs> yeah. to like one of the most <laughs> empowering black movies ever. Well, know? yeah, but could you imagine if it was the other way? Oh, around? Well, that I I don't think they would have done it. I think they would have had to close the curtain and deal with it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they would have ever dealt with it, and they probably yeah. <laughs> would oh probably probably be wise to. Um, any any movies you saw in the past year that you thought uh, should have been nominated? Deadpool. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't see Deadpool. Oh my uh, God, dude, not a so superhero funny. guy. It has nothing that. to do with superheroes. It's making fun of superheroes. It's a hilarious rated R satire. Ryan Reynolds is fucking so funny in that. Oh my God. I thought you'd be um, hip to no, that. Think, that's that's the superhero I, movie for non superheroes. It's like it's making fun of the whole thing. Anyways, go ahead. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I wouldn't object to seeing it. I guess, but uh, I didn't see it. I think that's. I think that's literally every movie that I saw. Oh no, the only I did see the one that that you loved, uh, the Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh yeah. And I like that a lot yeah, too. Yeah, love Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah. Again, not a movie that they would dominate. You know. Well, I don't know. I mean, couldn't it have been? It was a New Zealand production, right? Couldn't it have been up for best foreign film? That, right, I, exactly. And when it actually came out, I discussed that with my dad online about whether how that was going to be categorized. Um, but let's, you know, the way I look at it as Wes Anderson's been nominated, and that was like a very Wes Andersony movie, but actually was dealing with deeper themes than most Wes Anderson movies. So, I, you know, I don't think I, they they should have disqualified it for being quote unquote light because it was a pretty touching movie. I thought. As well as yeah really oh it was shot. totally touching yeah. uh yeah i watched it with robin and my sister and her husband mm -hmm. and it was yeah it was the perfect <laughs> movie for that context i mean everybody enjoyed it i think while well, warren my sister's husband fell asleep like five minutes in <laughs> so, so you can't say he didn't enjoy it uh, also i've seen it like three times uh, ricky town population ricky <laughs> <laughs> And he says that uh, Biggie is, is like, or was it Tupac, Tupac or Biggie? He's like, yeah, Tupac. he's kind of my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Names his dog Tupac. I, I love that. Uh, yeah, but I think that's literally all the movies I saw this year. I mean, I'm I'm also been lately more of a TV series. Okay. Like you know, I love you know most like yep. not most, but a lot of HBO series and stuff like that. I would rat. First, I'm I'm more into investing myself in the long form narrative now than the yep. short form. Yeah, and in fact, it's an ongoing discussion. Um, my sort of co-host and the guy who do a weekly TV podcast with Matt Goisman, who went to Wesleyan. I don't think you knew him. I didn't even really know him that well, Wesleyan. But um, he loves TV and we do a TV podcast every week. But I'm constantly lamenting the fact that, and this is statistically true, that the number of films that come out each year is going down. And so Hollywood's putting their money into these huge PG-13 movies where they try and appeal to everyone and it just ends up being schlock. You know, like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. whether it's Star Wars or Captain America or whatever, you know, I, I, I mean, even like Harry Potter and those movies, it's all PG-13. And so they're all structured the same way. They all have the same budget. Like they all have the same act structure. Like it, it's just getting so boring. I actually, for me, I love Rogue One and I, I am a Star Wars guy, but that movie was super dark. The only reason Rogue One was PG-13 was because it wasn't super bloody, but they kill off a lot of people. Spoiler alert. If you people haven't seen Rogue One, they kill all the good guys in that movie. Um, and so uh, I actually thought that was that was well done for the most part though how the big budget stuff this year was terrible um, the movies I would tell you to see man um, that I think you would like uh, the one you definitely need to see is Eye in the Sky with Aaron Paul <clears throat> about drone strikes okay it's Helen Mirren and Aaron Paul Aaron Paul plays a, uh, a drone operator in, in, Los, in, in Nevada and uh they're they're working with the UK. It's a UK movie, uh, but Aaron Paul and a lot of Americans are in it. And, and they're flying a uh, drone operation in Kenya. And um, uh, when am I blanking on the name of Kenya's capital right now? Um, Mombasa. No, Nairobi. Or Nairobi, sorry, in Nairobi. And uh, they they see they're able to see that there's a suicide bombing about to happen. And they've estimate there's like two hours. So the movie's basically real time. They have two hours to decide about whether they're going to bomb, drop a bomb on this little piece of this uh, part of um, the, uh, the the slums outside of town. And then it turns out there's some families living next door. And so the movie's all about this calculus about can we reduce the percent chance of them dying? What are the percent chances of this person dying? Can we use spies to lure the kids out? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It manages to address drone strikes in a way that, regardless of what you feel about them, makes you consider, you know, what what not only the long term consequences are, but like the people who are involved, the psychological toll it takes. It's very tense, very suspenseful. Um, highly, highly recommend Eye in the Sky. Um, I know we were making make fun of making fun of Ben Affleck, and I normally do not like Ben Affleck, mm. but the accountant nope, was don't say it. Don't say it. The accountant <laughs> was really good. Um, that was like his. Uh, th- that was his best performance by far for me ever. I mean, I don't know what it says that he nailed playing an autistic assassin, um, but he, he was great in it. Queen of Katwe, you should see, man. Uh, just because it's Africa and and the African actors and the kids are amazing. About the chess champ, true story. The, the chess champion that came out of a young girl that came out of uh, uh, the slums of of Uganda. Uh, Queen of Katwe with uh, mm-hmm. Oyelowo and uh, and Lupita is in that as well. And I really liked, uh, um, my last suggestion would be The Edge of Seventeen. Uh, with, I, I did see that. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. I saw that on Friday, this okay. past Friday. I thought that was really good. Uh, I really like Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. yeah, well, that, like Jeff Bridges, anything Woody Harrelson does, I love. Oh, yeah. And she's hysterical. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, she crushed it. Crushed it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing performance. She was great. Um, I actually came across her. Her inter- She was in True Grit with Jeff Bridges when she was a kid and was nominated. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Nice. She was nominated, and then she was where I would have seen her before. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then you wouldn't have seen this, but I love these movies. She was the the new girl in Pitch Perfect too. Okay, and yeah, was like that. really, really fucking hilarious in that. I was like, "Who is this girl?" And I was like, "Oh, that's a true grit girl." And I saw Edge of Seventeen with Woody Harrelson. I'm like, "Okay, this has to be good." And uh, yeah, I loved it. So cool, man. Well, thanks for being on. Anything else? You can, oh, let's leave it with a real quick Modiba update. Where where can uh, other than www.modiba.net, where can uh, the Bizzlecast listeners find uh, our artists and and other stuff that you guys got going on? We have a lot of German listeners, FYI. I don't know why, but I have a lot of listeners in Germany. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah, well, Via Farcatore, who we talked about, has an album coming out April 7th, uh, May 12th in Europe, for your German listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <Achtung>. And, <laughs> and uh, let's see, uh, Julia Easterlin, who is now adopted the artist name Height, has an incredible album coming out March 24th. She is our flagship non-worldy international artist uh she's american uh but does music that is entirely unique uh and so yeah she has a fantastic album coming march 24th uh you can check her out at heyheight.com yeah if you guys like uh like artists like bjork um you know female artists who are amazing singers and can do a thousand other things musically and rhythmically and so forth songwriting you'll love julia easterland she's fucking awesome go ahead yeah so uh we're working with a new group called la dama which is uh four women from four different countries in the americas they're in the studio right now i've been getting text messages uh from them uh, asking about the contract we've got going on with the label uh, as we've been talking and they are also an incredible group to check out uh with on a mission as well on a humanitarian mission and empowering young women uh that is ladamaproject.org there is uh, Bambino, of course, uh, who uh, is always busy. Uh, he's at bambinomusic.com. And the Refugee All-Stars are rolling. Uh, they are completing a U.S. tour and then off to the U.K. They're Sierra Refugee... No, sorry, Sierra Leone's RefugeeAllStars.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aurelio Martinez, who's another incredible artist mm-hmm. that we have the privilege of working with, yep. has released an album earlier this year. Uh, actually, just it was February 17th. That was out, uh, kind of a celebration of his 30-year career to date, mm-hmm. uh, called Durandi, which means 30 uh, in his mm-hmm. local language, uh, mm-hmm. the Garifuna language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is aureliomusic.net. <laughs> uh, you might want to just like, you know, put, throw some links down. Oh yeah, no, no, that'll all be up on the copy, it, but just really quickly, social media, uh, facebook.com slash Modiba. Modiba BK. BK still awesome. And Twitter. Yeah. No, we don't, we don't. No really Twitter, do Instagram. Twitter. Uh, I don't do Instagram okay. personally. Our artists do. Oh, okay. 
So yeah, uh, so I'm gonna I'll just link all the artists and, and the pages and stuff on on the copy so you guys can uh, can get to yeah, that. Yeah, I would also like to yes. shout out actually yes. Sam Harris's podcast uh, for you people that like podcasts. <laughs> uh, and I've told the Bizzle to to listen and to you it. Hate Muslims. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Not because you will agree with everything he has to say, but because he has extremely smart, thought-provoking guests on all the time uh, and, you know, just unabashedly challenges them. And it's really good listening for people that love this kind of heady intellectualism. And I'm also going to do a shout out, since we're on the pop culture tip, to uh, this series called Fleabag, Hmm. which is on Amazon Prime, which is my favorite series that i saw over the past year mm-hmm. uh and that's it that's all i got all right two quick sports questions then we're out one okay. from one to ten how much did you hate life when the patriots won the super bowl mm, uh nine yeah. i guess yeah it's pretty i bad. mean i i don't care about football nearly as much as i do about hockey you are a jets you know? fan though i am a jets fan uh and i'm a jets fan because I find that they are the spiritual cousins of the Maple Leafs. Uh, although I think, Perennial I think losers? We're, seeing, we're seeing a seismic. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was trying to say yeah. gracefully. But we're seeing a seismic shift right now. It's happening in Toronto. So we're not going to be perennial losers forever. Okay, so that was, my, that was my last question was prediction for Maple Leafs uh, this year. This year, yeah. uh, obvi- well, the goal is the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, which we have seen once during a shortened season over the last 11 seasons, oh, and we failed in the most epic fashion <laughs> yeah. imaginable oh, in the playoff series, oh, blowing I- a 4-1 lead with 10 minutes left in Game 7. Uh, yeah, still hurts. Yeah. Still hurts. That was 2013. That. Still hurts. Yeah. Uh, so playoffs is the goal. I don't want to be presumptuous and even predict that we're going to make the playoffs because the race is ridiculously tight. Yeah. I'm checking the scores right now. I see Ottawa lost. That's good. And I see Montreal yeah, won, and that's Ottawa. bad. I fucking hate Ottawa. Uh, we're playing you in a, in a few days. Actually, well, I won't be texting uh, you for a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. You wait. You wait for me to text you, Bizzle. Okay. Well, you better text me even if you lose, just so I know. I will. I will. All right, buddy. Well, I really appreciate you being on, being so honest. Uh, you're one of my favorite people, easily to talk about this stuff with, because you are so measured, and because even though we both are passionate and have opinions, I feel like for whatever reason, when the two of us talk, we tend to keep it pretty uh, civil, and we want to get get to the core of of things. Um, so that's awesome. And speaking of which, I know it's going to be a long time because you're super busy and the kid and the kid and everything. Um, shout out to Maya. So adorable. And Robin, love you guys. Um, but if, if, and when I do have, when I do have you back at some point, we, I would love to do like a philosophy, um, theoretical physics, futurism, Kurzweil type, uh, type podcast, I think would be awesome. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Bizzlecast listeners. Thank you so much as always. Thank you, Mr. Herman. Thank you, Bizzle. And the Bizzlecast is out.